1 Samuel, it's 1 Samuel chapter 3. You know this well, but we want to read it and we want to listen and hear the voice of God this morning. Do you have my... Are there any papers over there? I had some papers somewhere. Hmm. Maybe the, No, 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 they're not going to be in there. All right, go to 1 Samuel. Oh, here it is. I got it. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we're just going to read the first 10 verses here. Notice these words, powerful words. These are climactic words, really, if you know the trajectory of history. We were just coming out, remember, of the Judges period. The Judges period is awful, if you didn't know, okay? Like, it's terrible. Everybody's doing whatever's right in their own eyes. The whole place is collapsing. I mean, the, the whole thing ends in this awful, I don't even want to say it, I'm, I'm uncomfortable ever saying what happens at the very end of Judges, and it's happening within Israel, it causes a civil war within Israel, and they almost kill off one of the tribes, we almost lose a whole tribe, which is the tribe of Benjamin, and, and then now God is transitioning to an entirely new way of doing things, he's about to call kings into play. In other words, he's about to start anointing kings. He, in other words, Israel is moving from just sort of a federation to now a monarchy. And this is new because God has been their king. Now they're going to have earthly kings. And who he's going to choose is going to be Samuel, as you know, who will anoint the first two kings of Israel as a united kingdom. So it's a new prophetic era. Now notice this. Notice these words here. Watch as you read along with me. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. That was the menorah. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So he was near the holy place, the holiest, holiest place. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for, what, for this beautiful moment in time and space. 
that is recorded for all of time. For your word is eternal for us. Lord, for our encouragement, for our chastisement. So Lord, as a good parent, do both today. Chastise us where we need to be and encourage us as your sons and daughters, we pray in your name. Amen. If you recall, two weeks ago, I preached about the boy, Jesus, at 12 years old in the temple speaking with the religious leaders. And this was really sort of the beginning of another type of new prophetic era, right? God was about to do something big time on the scene with Jesus Christ. And here we get this little, little bitty scene. You know, we, we get a scene of him at his birth, and we do of Samuel as well, by the way. And then we get this brief scene of Jesus at 12, and we looked at that, and how 12 is this interesting age uh, of adolescency, and there's the Son of God. We get just a brief moment of him as a boy. And, and, it, and this, this story here in, in Samuel probably was in the mind of Luke as he's writing the pages of the Gospel of Luke about Jesus. For, as you know, the first two chapters of Luke detail two things about Jesus. One, his birth, a few birth narratives. And then it gives us that one little picture of him at 12. I think it was by God's design that he gives us the boy Samuel at 12 and the boy Jesus at 12. And they both are responding to God, and it says literally, growing in stature and favor with God, in his grace, in other words. What a, what a challenge for us to see that and know that 12-year-olds, that children matter to God. So much that they make it into the pages of history. There's pharaohs and kings and rich people that don't even make it into the Bible. The, the Bible just simply skips right over them. As if they don't matter. Because they didn't matter to Revelation if they did not serve the living God. That's why when the writer of Chronicles recounts the history of Israel as a whole, he doesn't even mention the northern kingdom. Why? Because the northern kingdom did not have one king that followed after God. Not one. So guess what? In God's annals, not in our history books, but in God's annals and history, his story, they don't feature at all. And yet a 12-year-old boy does. How often does that happen in the world? Not very often. Not very often. What it should tell us as a church is that we must care for our children. That we must nurture them in the faith. That, when God's ready to do something, oftentimes He will call a child. Oftentimes He will bring a baby out of a barren situation. Which is exactly what happens in Samuel's life. You remember his mother, Hannah, praying so fervently that Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. He said, woman, seriously, really? You're going to bring this into the temple? Because her mouth was moving, but she wasn't saying anything. Because she was travailing in prayer. Oh God, that we could be people that travailed in prayer so fervently that we looked like we had been into the spirits. And in fact, we had been in the spirit. 
We need more praying people like that because the result of Hannah's prayer changes an entire nation. The result of Mary's obedience changes the entire world. Our world. For we believe in the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Oh God, would you just, even now as we, as we just break out into praying, as Paul so often does in his epistles, would you raise up women in our own church to travail in prayer and birth new ministries? We speak it prophetically today. In your name, God. You know, here's Samuel, and he's just a boy, but he's being born into. He's being raised up in a, a tabernacle that is scarcely given the revelation of God. In other words, we're told here, as you, you heard just a, a moment ago, the word of the Lord was what? Rare in those days. Visions of God were not frequent. If you think about it, we need His Word. We need His vision in the world, don't we, as Christians? We must have it, for we don't live by sight alone. Even though, as you know, we as humans, as an, as an animal creature, are very unique in this way. You know, when, when the majority of animals meet one another, they... They sniff each other. They don't necessarily just look like, who is that guy now? What's he wearing there? Armani? And okay, he's got a Joseph A. Banks shirt on. That's not what they do. They just go right up and, right? Take a big sniff. Because most animals are actually, their senses of smell or vibrations in the water, that tells them way more than sight does. You know this if you've ever studied animals before, but not us humans. What do we major in? We major in sight. But as Christians, we must not live by sight alone. Not just by our eyeballs alone. Instead, we walk, what? By faith in God. That's right. And so we need God's word because we're not just looking around saying, all right, you've got to show me. No, he needs to speak to us. We need his word in our life. We need his vision of how to see people. Because it really is difficult to really see people, isn't it? Anybody know what I'm saying here? I'm not, I, don't, I don't mean that you're wearing red or you know, orange or the colors of, of your favorite football. That's easy to see. But what's difficult to see is the person. And sometimes... I've seen someone just losing it. And I'm looking at them and I can see the real person within there crying out for help. And and they're responding in this one way to kind of block off everybody else. But really, all they need is a hug. A hug would change everything. If someone went out of their way to love them, it would change everything in their life. It's been said that about 90% of us on any given day are suffering in some way, silently. We're holding on to something that nobody else knows about. 
We're trying to hide it. We're trying to suppress. We're trying to keep everything together. If you were to treat people as if every single person you met was hurting, you'd be treating accurately about 90% of the population because we really are hurting a lot of the time. And things really do get difficult and dark in our world. Like Samuel, we too live in a world where the word of God is rare. I don't mean that Bibles aren't plenteous because, you know, I can only pack a bag that was like basically this big in order not to be charged more money. So one of the things I didn't bring was my Bible, which, you know, you can get on to me later for that. But I've got one on my phone and I was relying on the Gideons as well. And I knew they would come through for me because I like I like to look at paper. You know what I'm saying? But I really I really didn't have enough. I barely had enough room for the essentials, honestly. Uh, But I got through on my trip and pull out the drawer when we get to the hotel. And guess what's there? There's a Bible. Bibles are plenteous. Online tools for Bible study are unbelievable. Used to we had to have entire libraries and and bookshelves filled with commentaries and concordants and lexicons, not leprechauns, lexicons, which detail words for us and all this kind of crazy Greek. And now it's all free online. It's unbelievable. There's commentaries that are free online. It's insane. And yet the word of God is still rare. The vision of God. I, you know, again, it, I, 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 this is anecdotal. In other words, it's just simply my observation. But I, but I imagine if we talked, it'd probably be your observation as well. Rarely does someone come saying, I had a vision of people that were hurting and God called me to those people. Now, last week we had Brandon Watson here and he could attest to that. He heard the call. He saw it before it was ever done. He heard those people hurting. You know, we, um, we help out with the Salvation Army. We, uh, we, we do, we, a lot of you drive the truck and have served in that way. And the Salvation is, a, is an amazing church. <laughs> Many people forget that it's actually a church. But they're also a mission organization. And William Booth is the one, you might recall, that started the Salvation Army. And William Booth recalls that he had a vision. And I, and I won't go into The vision's very long. You can actually look it up online. It's free. You don't even have to buy the book. You can just get it. So again, there's so much stuff that's free, and we don't even care. You know, it's like, I guess we probably don't care because it is free. Maybe they should start charging for it, and you'd start reading it. Just kidding. And he says, there was this large, tumultuous sea. And people were in this, and it was a great storm. And I'm summarizing here. And people were drowning in this ocean of chaos, in this hurricane of a storm. And there was a rock that arose, like a a mountain, out of the ocean. And many people found refuge on that rock, on that area. But he noticed something very strange about what happened to them once they actually got up out of the water and onto the rock. And that was many of them would just, and I'm paraphrasing here for modern people, many of them would just put their AirPods in and go about their business once they got up on the shore while their own children were still in the sea. 
Many of them would just start getting to work to save up money and make more money while their wife was still struggling in the tumultuous water and in the storm. Others of them, of course, would be preaching to others that were right there on the, sea, on, on, on the, on the rock. While right over the edge, their grandpa was going under. And he said, he noticed that in the tumultuous water, a divine benevolent being was gathering up many and placing them onto the rock. And he realized that the rock, long story short, was Calvary, was the cross, and that many had been saved, but then they didn't hear the call to go back. Others, however, were jumping in to save and reaching down to pull up. And of course, the Salvation Army was born out of that kind of understanding. Out of an understanding that says to us, that's always even challenging to me, even now, is, is we shouldn't just gather to gather and say, oh yeah, amen, hallelujah, let's get back to doing whatever we want to do. But instead, we walk right out of here and jump in to save others. It's also said that he, at nighttime, to his own children, as they would lie sleeping, he would whisper into their ear, others, others, others. That's who God has called us to. You know, it's kind of interesting in this text, and it's really challenging. I, as, I was, <laughs> as I was looking at this and, and praying, I, I was, I'll just tell you what happened. I prayed to God, I said, you know, Lord, give me a, give me a word for your people, you know, and, and I was, a lot of you were running across my mind, as a, and that's typical in my sermon preparation, I try, to, I try to picture you in your life, and of course I don't know all of your life, but I try to picture you in your life, and your circumstances, and all that you go through, and, and just the things that I'm not even aware of, and, uh, because I know my own life, and I know human nature, and I was asking the Lord, and he just, in my spirit, stopped me and said, I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you. You're always worried about getting it out there for other people. What if I want to say something to you right now? And so I had to put on pause anything for you. And I asked the Lord, what do you want to say, Lord? I need to hear your voice. And you know, one of the things that came out of there is we need his voice every day. Like manna. You remember the manna, and I, and I love to use this. I mean, I just, I can't get enough of it because Jesus couldn't either. Remember in his own ministry, as he's preaching along, he says, don't you remember the manna? And everybody's like, oh yeah, man, heavenly manna from above. You know, provision from God from above. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's right. That manna was given by God and all your ancestors are dead. And they're like, oh, Okay. He says, but there's one here that is the bread of God, the living bread of God, the manna from above, heavenly food. If you eat of me and you drink of me, you will live forever. And many of them chose not to. The Bible says in John 6, 6, 6. And he turns to his disciples and he says... uh, what about you guys? What do you think? And Peter, being the spokesman, like some of you are in your family, <laughs> he says, 
to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We believe you. Do you believe those words today? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because we feed ourselves a lot, so to speak, each week, don't we? I mean, you've got the same amount of hours I do, and it's a wonder what we put in and what comes out. Do we truly pant after living water? Do we hunger and thirst after God's righteousness? Not me making myself right. Not me making myself feel better because I go serve with the Salvation Army. Not me making myself feel better because I go to Madison Village and I can say, hey, I, I spent some time with some really old people that are on the brink of death, and so I feel better now about my life because I did a good service because they're lonely. No. No. I'll tell you this. They serve me. I feel bad almost going because I get such a blessing from being around them. It's not, here comes Pastor Marshall, he's going to give us. No, no, no. They bless me. Being here blesses me. Because, you see, I've already heard his word this morning to me. I've already fed on him. My well, I'm trying to dig it deeper every single day so that no matter what kind of drought comes, no matter if everything around us is parched and, 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 and there is seemingly no word of God anywhere, we burned all the Bibles, I want to have a well so deep in God, in the Holy Spirit, that it never will run dry. Which is exactly the promise, isn't it, that he gives to us? That when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's like a river of life welling up that cannot be contained. Notice, not a pond self-contained. No. I've been to one of those before and I drank out of it and four of us got Giardia, which is nasty if you don't know what that is. And it was, a de- it was a devilish experience, really. Truly. But it was this pond in the, the Bighorn Mountains of Wyoming that got no inflow or outflow to it. So it's, and it freezes every single year. I didn't know. I wouldn't have drank out of it. You know what I mean? It wasn't my fault, really. Now, I didn't get sick. I must have an iron stomach. At least that's what I say. Then I'll eat a hot dog and, you know, lose it. But it's like... Here's this pond that has no inflow, no outflow. It freezes every year. It stays the same. It's dead. You know, the only thing that was living in there, actually, were um, leeches. Big, nasty leeches. You didn't want anything else that was living in there. No. But notice, when the Lord talks about the water of life, when he talks about the waters of baptism... He talks about living water, which is, an, is another way to say sort of geographically is to say this, that there's inflow and there's outflow. You see, this is something we can learn from this story today. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. Samuel hears it four times. Samuel. Eli, Eli, what's going on, man? What's going on? I know you're blind, so you need my help, which is exactly the case. That's why, that's why Eli wasn't getting mad. He's like, go away, dude. I'm trying to sleep. No, no, no. Eli needed help regularly, probably. 
And probably called for for Samuel often. Samuel was his servant in this way, in the temple. You remember, given by Hannah. Runs over three different times. And finally, finally, wisdom comes to Eli. And finally, notice, I mean, listen, Eli wasn't wasn't the greatest priest ever. Let's just be honest. I mean, I'm going to preach at some point this year. I'm going to try to get it in at least at Jonah. And he, he was like the most terrible preacher, prophet ever. Like, I feel better even if I do a bad sermon. You know, it's like, oh, well, at least I'm not Jonah, you know. <laughs> Hopefully he made it to heaven and he'll get on for me for that. But if he didn't, I don't have anything to worry about. Um, <laughs> and so, here's the deal. We, I'm about to lose my train of thought here. <laughs> Trying to make a joke about old Jonah. Mm. Eli wasn't a good guy. Here's the thing. He had sons. They were bad. And that's it. Before, right before this, there's this prophet that comes and he's like this. He says, look, your old house is going to be judged, man. Your sons are going to die on one day. And then here's Samuel. God's trying to turn Samuel into a prophet. So, so by the time we start chapter 3, Samuel's just a boy. By the end of chapter 3, he's a full-blown prophet. Interestingly, his first message is, Eli, your, your whole family is going to be obliterated by God. They're going to be judged and you're going to be wiped away. You're, you're done. Like Eli wasn't a good parent in that way. It actually says he neglected. It was too late once he actually introduced it. Correction in their life. It's got to happen early. And I think that's one thing we can learn from the 12-year-old man. You've you got to be pumping the word of God. I'm talking to myself. Listen, this is part of when I was on my face to God, God's like, what are you doing with your people, man? You know, because if I, if I just preach to you and I preach to the, you know, this and, and, and do funerals, and, which I did this week, and, and, a, and, a, and a wedding, these sorts of things, and I never tend my own vineyard, guess who's going to be responsible for that? It's going to be me. These are my people. First and foremost, I, it's your responsibility as parents. Your responsibility. And Eli, what? Now look, you're not alone if, if your kids didn't turn out right. It's not directly your fault. I mean, Eli, terrible kids. Samuel, his kids were disobedient to God, we're told later. And David, his also, even though he had a heart after God. So it's, you know, I'm not saying, oh, you're a bad parent. If you're adult children, that don't listen. We believe in free will. They can do what they want at the end of the day. You have... But as parents, we must nurture them. As a church, we must nurture them and shepherd their hearts in Christ. We must do our best job in our youth, in our kids. And thank God for our youth workers and and for our children's workers. But you see, it's not enough just to hear. That's not enough. You may have heard the call of God, just like Samuel did. You say, well, then, what, 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 what's going on here then? Like, what's, what, what turns the boat? And it's the right response. It's not enough just to listen. Oh, I heard my name. Like, because I believe that God is speaking to each one of you. Not because my sermon's awesome. It's because the Holy Spirit is here, and he knows you more than anybody. And he's got stuff to say to you. Because I don't think you're done yet. I think you're still running the race. I mean, you're here. I think he's got a little bit more work to do in all of us. Can I get an amen? 
I know he does in me. And so, so we must be attuned to that. But it's not enough if he just simply says, hey, so-and-so, hey, Marshall. And we run to the wrong thing. We must instead speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And it's tough to listen. It is really difficult to listen. Those of you who know me, it's hard for me to listen. That's why, that's why people who are close to me sometimes have to actually grab me and say, are you listening? And I'm like, I'm still rolling, you know, because i got a busy mind, unfortunately. I don't even listen to myself sometimes. And it's like they're grabbing me. Jessica says, are you listening? She says it like three times. Maybe like, maybe because she learned something from the Bible here. She says it three different times. And then I'll say, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm listening. And she'll finally get through to me. Because we're rushing around, we're doing our stuff, we're so worried about our things, we're trying to make sure everything is perfect. We get to watch all our games and TV shows and our bank accounts are full and all this, and all that's great and grand, it really is. That's, that's fine and fabulous. But it's not okay if you haven't heard the word of God in your heart. If, if you have not, if you're not envisioning the world as God envisions the world, your co-workers, your neighbors, your children, your spouse... If you don't see them as God sees them, that's a problem, friend. And it's a problem that can be done and dealt with today. For he is calling your name. And the right response from all of us is speak, Lord, for your servant hears. In the Hebrew, the term for hear is to listen and obey. It's kind of like I've said so many times before, and and you'll get tired of it, but I'm going to say it again. My dad would go off and he'd say, fold the clothes, wash the dishes before I get back. All right, Pop, we got it. We got it. We got it, man. You know, it's it's original Nintendo. You know, we're enthralled with it. He comes back. What does he say when it's not done? Did you not hear me? Now, of course, we heard him. We we don't just say to him, yeah, we heard you, Pop. We we know. (laughs) You don't want to say that. (laughs) Not to that dad. Remember, I told you he's changed now. But not to that dad. You You didn't want to say that. He says, did you not hear me? Which means if you heard it, you're going to do it, right? Just like in Booth's vision, y'all. Listen, Booth's vision, it's not enough just to get up on the rock to safety. It's not enough just to say, oh yeah, now I'm justified in Christ. My sins are forgiven. All right, I'm going to just keep living life. No, 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 no. No. We must go out. The call is always out. Not further in, not protectionism, it's open doors. I mean to your actual house, to your car, to your life, to your wallet, to your personality, to whatever it is he wants, all of it. It's all his. It needs to be because whatever you try to hold on to is not going up. Let me just tell you that. It's not going up. And you don't want to go down with it, friend. You don't want to go down with it. Whatever it is, it's not worth going down. I think the Lord is calling some of you. And I think some of us are really not walking by faith, and we should be. We're walking by sight. Maybe 95% of our life is sight and only 5% faith. It should be reversed. As Christians, it should be reversed. What we see is not all there is. There's more to the story. 
There's always more because God always has more for you, for me. And I want to know that more. Just like Jessica and I, we, we just enjoyed time with each other. And, and I want to know more about what it's like to be married 16 years and then 22 years and in as many years as we can go. It just keeps getting deeper. And the well keeps producing more life. And you know what they say in marriages as in friendships and relationships is you should create memories, right? If you never give God your best time and space, you will have no memories with your friend. None. I mean, let's just, let's just really be honest right now and let the Spirit examine us. What part of the day do we give to God? How much time do we give to God? To make memories in His Word and in prayer and in service to Him. I'm just asking, friend. I, look, I'm not pointing the finger. All my fingers are pointed in right now. That's how I'm saying this. Not like this, this. God, help us to be people that do not live by our belly alone, by our bank account alone, by our riches, by our personality, our our own strength. None of that, God. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to hear your call and not just hear it, but obey it. Do it. Walk out of here and do it. Purpose it now in your soul. I'm going to love my wife. I don't care what it takes. Love my husband. No matter, just like God does to me. Maybe they don't deserve it. Neither do you. They don't deserve forgiveness. Neither do you. They don't deserve a hug. Neither do I. But he gives it. You give it so graciously. This church gives it. And what a great, great grace that is to grow up into. I think God is launching something new even at Harvest Point, just as He's doing here in the prophetic era. And He wants you on the front line. I don't know what that means, but I hope He's telling you. That's a good thing. I don't have to, I'm not some mediator that has, oh, oh, oh yeah. So here you go, Aaron, here's what you got to do. I'm, I'm not, that's not what we do here. That's not what we do here. You, you're supposed to be listening to God. Please do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.